from Washington. This is the HPS Macrocast with Hamilton Place Strategies and Markets Policy Partners. Good morning. It's Friday, December 3rd. You're listening to the Macrocast on another all-important non-farm payrolls uh, day. It's Jobs Day. Uh, We had the uh, payroll announcement earlier this morning. Um, This is Tony Fratto with Hamilton Place Strategies. We've got Brendan Walsh and John Fagan with Markets Policy Partners and uh, Stratton Curtin sitting in with us today from Hamilton Place Strategies um, to to help us get through this uh, employment situation report morning. Um, Stratton, why don't you take us through the numbers? Because I think there's just like so much to dive into in uh, uh, in these surveys uh, this morning. So why don't, why don't you level set us with uh, with the numbers and then we'll we'll go from there. Yeah, absolutely. Um, thanks for having me. So, you know, what everybody's paying attention to is that the the job gains missed expectations. Expectations were about 573,000 in gains. What we actually saw come in from the employment survey is 210,000 non-farm payroll jobs. Um, you know, some of the positives, which this is where some of the headlines are going, is the unemployment rate took a big drop to 4.2%. Um, you know, we saw total unemployment come down to 6.5 million people, which is, you know, about 5.7 million pre-COVID levels. Um, average annual earnings are up almost 5%, 4.8%. You know, some of the negatives of the report, setting aside the weirdness with, um, you know, the divergence in jobs created versus the unemployment rate, long-term unemployment was still stuck at 2.2 million. Um, you know, and we're about 82% recovered, you know, which means we still have a pretty long ways to go. And at the current rate, we're about a year out, maybe 10 to 11 months um, if we keep creating at this level. But, you know, like I said, the real top line that people are focusing on is why did we miss expectations? Why with only 210,000 jobs created, you know, did we actually see a big drop in the unemployment rate, um, you know, which I think is what we're probably going to talk about first. What was, um, and, and what was uh, the, the uh, participation rate? Uh, Stratton? Uh, it was just shy of uh, 62%. I think it was 61.8% somewhere so still around. Down. Yeah, so yeah, still it's, down. it's still down more than a percent from pre-COVID levels. Yeah. Yeah, yeah correct. 61.8%. Yeah. yeah, so no improvement there. It's sort of you know, fell yeah. off uh, in COVID and stayed uh, at right around that 62% number or just below it for, it's been a long time now, actually. Um, yeah. And I don't, I don't know if this is too sweeping of a statement to say, but it kind of seems like things are pointing in the direction of maybe the sort of low-hanging fruit in terms of recovery um, has been picked. And now we're getting into the stuff that's a little harder, you know, where people have been out of work for a while. And we know it just takes a whole lot more to get them back into the workforce. Yeah, because and you still have 1.5 million women that are out of the labor force. And that's right. heavily uh, Black and Latino women. And, and twice, also and when you look yeah. at... Um, education and and daycare help, uh, work they have very much lagged the the recovery in jobs they're still down like uh, I think uh, education is down about six percent from the the peaks and and uh, you know uh, daycare is down almost eleven percent. Well, in even this month, you didn't see a lot of sectors where they actually lost jobs. But to your point, daycare and gray care, so nursing homes, both yep. lost jobs in the sector, which is kind of. I mean, a little bit shocking if you think about what a hit they took, you know, in the last oh my God, yeah. months. And and retail. Uh, uh, it, so this isn't the, this is the uh, employment uh, the uh, sorry the uh, establishment service. So this is uh, from uh, talking to actual companies. 
but the retail sector was down 20, almost 21,000 jobs. And this is in November when you're usually you ramping up to high to, to, to hire for uh, the, the holiday spending season. I think that's all to say. I mean, actually, did you mention, uh, did you mention the uh, revisions, uh, Stratton? No, I didn't. So I, th- I think roughly 85,000 um, yeah. over the previous two months. You I think know, it was 60 for- and 15 or so between the two of them. Yeah, and of course, those were revisions on top of revisions. Um, yeah, exactly. For the, for, uh, the uh, September period. So, uh, which had, you know, big uh, revisions in the, um, uh, in, the, uh, in the October report. So th- there is, th- look, there's, th- I, I uh, our friend Steve Leisman over at CNBC uh, said that this morning, you know, and they're like, we're, you know, big, I'm a, I'm a big backer of BLS. And like, there's a lot of, BS about the work that BLS does. And so let me stipulate by saying the Bureau of Labor Statistics are the finest counters and estimators of job creation on the planet. They're the very best at this. They're really, really good at it. And it is really hard to do, um, you know, in in a very big economy uh, to do the modeling, the seasonality, um, to get those things right is really, really challenging. It's especially challenging when you have really idiosyncratic things and big shifts happening in labor markets. It's hard to model. We have to remember that these are not simply counting. These are, these are estimates based on models. And I, I'm with, the, with the, uh, the, the monthly job creation numbers in the establishment survey, so that so that requires estimates, modeling. How many jobs? By modeling, if you're not familiar with this, it's how many jobs ought to be created this month. How many jobs do we expect in a normal year to be created uh, this month? Then, with some adjustments, given what we think is happening with the economy and seasonality, like you know, back to school or retail jobs because of. Um, because of, um, you know, the, the holiday shopping season or farm workers because of harvest season. All of these things are seasonality kinds of things that happen. And, and BLS makes, uh, makes adjustments. My point is it's really hard to make adjustments when you've got people shifting from one sector of the economy to another sector of the economy, shifting from services to goods, from goods back to services, from people being out of the transportation, hospitality, and leisure section, moving back into the transportation, hospitality, and leisure sector, you know, and then basing it off of a year of, you know, uh, looking back at 2020, which was a COVID year. And, you know, it's it's just, it's really hard to do. And population size and estimating workforce uh, participation. So that's all to say in a very long-winded way um, that they've got a challenging job. And then I could say, and they've missed the mark. You know, I mean, we've seen it with the very large revisions in previous months. And I don't believe this number this month. I think we're going to see upward revisions on 210. I don't think that they're going to get to the, what the market expected in the 500,000 plus uh, range. But I would, not be expect, I would not be surprised if two months from now, we're not looking back at the October jobs numbers and seeing that number above 300,000, not this 210,000. I would not be surprised at all. Yeah, absolutely. I think the other thing that's important to remember is just context, right? I remember in 2009, um, being a staffer on the Hill for a member, you know, a Democratic member, 
And, you know, if you think about like the jobs reports that President Biden has seen since he's taken office, I think the Obama administration would have killed to have, you know, this job creation record in their first year. You know, we saw wild swings, including job losses still happening in the first year of the Obama administration. So while 210 is not the expectations, you know, it's still, like you said, if we're expecting upward revisions, puts them on a good path for by the time they go into their next election in the midterms to be able to say, we have like fully recovered from COVID in the last two years. Yeah. And this, it, it really does create this sort of raw shark test uh, yeah. kind of dynamic when you're looking at the number is something for everybody, obviously. And uh, if you've got a hawkish bent, which the Fed, and we'll talk a little bit more about that uh, later in the show, but if you've got a hawkish bent, you can certainly find uh, plenty of justification within these figures. And uh, but on the other side, you know, we, we actually saw the, uh, you know, the equity futures pop upward. That is, uh, you know, in bad news is good news or Goldilocks kind of formulation that we've seen time and time again, which is, you know, if the data isn't as strong as expected, that might stay the Fed's hand in terms of withdrawal of or at least uh, accelerating withdrawal of the, uh, the uh, of accommodation through the asset purchase program, et cetera. So it's a, it's a nuanced reaction in financial markets. Uh, treasuries really aren't reacting that much, I think, because uh, just what you were both saying, which is that this, this number isn't, you know, the headline grabber isn't really the full story here. And, uh, and the Fed will find plenty of justification uh, if, it, if it's, you know, fixated on inflation fighting too. Yeah, it's kind of hard to say, right? I mean, like you have to do, I mean, you're basically, um, I, I, you know, it, I mean, this number is not providing clarity if a lot of people are out there saying, hey, we don't believe the number, right? Um, now, the, I think the participation rate is real. And I think the unemployment rate is real. But we also learned that... Uh, in the pre-COVID period, when we thought we were probably tapped out in, uh, you know, in uh, in job creation, that we actually the people the, and people you know people who we thought were out of the economy actually were be able to be pulled back into the economy. So we don't actually know that either. You know whether the four point two percent is is real or not. You know we don't know of the you know Brenda the the. Um, you know, the women uh, in the workforce that we talked about, we don't know if it's a demographic shift or or if like, you know, uh, the, the specific categories that you're talking about, it's really hard for them to go back to work, right? Um, right? Because, you know, um, it, you know, if you, uh, if you, um, if, you know, if you're in downtown DC and you get on a bus uh, heading to Columbia Heights on uh, at 11 o'clock in the evening, if that bus is running for these, uh, women, uh, you'll get on a bus that is overwhelmingly uh, black and Latino uh, Latina women uh, who are, you know, going home from having cleaned the offices. That is a fact. You can see it, and you know. Right. Uh, so if people aren't going into the offices, you don't need, uh, you know, you don't need cleaning women to come and do the cleaning. And so, like, so you have these sort of, uh, you know, situations in the economy that are structural. Um, and also idiosyncratic to the workforce that are, you know, overrepresented by uh, by women that, you know, we don't know whether, you know, how that's going to, um, you know, how that's going to turn around. And so, um, so that may continue to lag for a long time, but it may not, right? If I mean, people come back to the office, you'll see them, you know, you'll see them coming back in. Yeah, and interesting, we, we got the Canadian jobs report at the same time. So Canada is now 198,000 jobs above their pre-pandemic level. So they've completely recovered and, and are back to 
growth, well, we're still, you know, millions of jobs below where we, we were a year and a half ago. That's pretty impressive. I didn't realize they were, they were quite that strong. I didn't realize it until today, too. Canadians always <laughs> surprise you. Yeah. Yeah, so they had a, a very strong November jobs report, and they, they have been, too. Uh, what did the loony do? <laughs> it strengthened. I'm betting the loony strengthened. <laughs> uh, well, I don't know what the dollar did, either, but I think, I think the dollar was probably, probably steady, also, if you said credit markets are steady, right, John? Yeah, actually, we're seeing a little bit of uh, a little bit of dollar weakness, um, and uh, yeah, some of it is that we've got about half a percentage point against the uh, Canadian dollar, which figures heavily into all the dollar indexes. But uh, yeah, the dollar, the U.S. dollar has actually been pretty strong. Uh, you know, not not violently so, no big swings, pretty low volatility. Uh, but you know, the the sort of creeping incremental hawkishness. The outperformance of the U.S. economy that's been uh, bringing the bringing the dollar up and uh, up to yeah. you know multi multi month highs. Uh, so nothing eye watering, but uh, but certainly. Yeah, but that's what you want. I mean, those are those are the, those are the good reasons for uh, those are the good reasons for dollar strength, right? Um, okay. So, which uh, which by the way should be uh, you know should be good for um, uh, on the inflation front as well. Yeah. And uh, yeah, usually the, the stronger the dollar, you know, commodity prices, oil in particular, uh, very negatively correlated with the strength of the dollar. And uh, and so, yeah, and oil prices are not it wasn't just the dollar strength, but oil prices are down a lot over the past few weeks. So if we were let's say so we saw let's let's assume that whatever it is. So the market was expecting, you know, 530, 500 to 530,000 jobs. It's an undershoot. Like I don't think, the, like I said, I don't think the revisions are going to plus up that number by two or three hundred thousand jobs. So the thing that we can say is um, is that it's not super hot, right? I mean, like if, if that number had come in above five hundred thousand, um, you know, we would have seen that as hot. We would have seen that as inflation uh, pressure. We don't get that story out of this, right? That's certainly that's certainly the way that the markets have it. As uh, as mentioned before, the Goldilocks not too hot, not too cold. Probably will get revised up, uh, but maybe not as eye wateringly fast as uh, you know people expected. And then you have a, a situation where it it breathes a little bit of reflationary uh, dynamic into the into the financial market. So uh, so that's 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 where we are today. But the bond market is definitely steadier. The bond market is skeptical that this really changes anything for the Fed at this point. Yeah, and I think that's the right reading. HPS affiliate Flag Media Analytics is a next-generation media monitoring firm designed to shorten the decision-making process for public affairs professionals. Our expert analysts will work with your team to ensure only the most relevant content reaches their inbox and provide custom metrics solutions for the evolving news cycle. To learn more about how Flag can get you ahead of the cycle, visit flagmediaanalytics.com. I'm going to shift to... uh to uh, you know, Chairman Powell and uh, Secretary Yellen uh, testifying this week, um, and they, uh, you know, and Powell made a little bit of news, right? I mean, I mean, maybe we should, he caught he, the markets off off guard. They, they were not a, well. We always talk about these testimonies, and it, you go up there to say nothing. Powell yeah. actually said something. <laughs> It was the strangest thing. I was like, I've never, you know, uh, I was, uh, but you know, I, I think it was, I think it was well done. It was well, well choreographed um, on his part. He, you know, he made the comment about transitioning, transition, transitory. 
jettisoning transitory. Uh, transitory is not what you thought it was. And, uh, and so we, so we're no, no longer transitory, uh, you know, and so uh, in, a, in a recalibration, I think of his, uh, of his outlook a little bit on tapering, right? I mean, the sense that, uh, you know, he, 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 uh, he told the, the Hill and, uh, but really he was talking to markets that um, they are going to consider, uh, you know, they're going to have discussions about, uh, uh, you know, uh, tapering, speeding along tapering and uh, presumably bringing the rate discussions forward as well. Um, and the market heard them, right? Yeah, it heard it loud and clear. <laughs> it was uh, it was a bit of a whiplash kind of uh, uh, kind of situation because the markets had were coming into this testimony having just been gripped on uh, the Friday after Thanksgiving with fear over the latest the latest COVID variant Omicron or however you pronounce it, and uh, and we saw some very steep and uh, and downbeat market reactions to that news on Friday. It's uh, of course, that's going to be magnified by the illiquid, you know, half day trading, you know, just after the holiday, that sort of thing. So you don't want to read too much into it, but it was, it was a pretty nasty day. And, uh, and we got some follow through, you know, a little bit of stabilization, but, uh, but there was a sense that, you know, the Fed would take a look at this new variant and, uh, and use that as, you know, the uh, it's, it's, we've seen this movie before it's uncertainty. We don't know how it's going to impact the economy. And so the, the idea coming into the week was that the Fed is just going to hold steady, you know, just stay, stay the course. Uh, but it, but Chair Powell uh, did a, uh, you know, quite a, quite a hawkish swerve by retiring transitory, by focusing much more on inflation, casting doubt on, you know, the idea of that the Fed can really stick the landing on getting full employment here. There was mm-hmm. even allusions to that kind of, you know, uncertainty on that side of things. And uh, and this was despite, you know, these uh, these now renewed growth fears over the latest wave. So, you know, if you flash back to September, essentially, you know, to oversimplify, uh, the Fed in September was saying, you know, we've got this delta wave, it's impacting the economy. So we need to probably stay more accommodative for longer. Now, the Fed appears to be saying, (laughs) and it's not just Chair Powell, it's a bunch of the other speakers as well. The Fed appears to be saying, we've got the Omicron wave coming. And it's going to impact the economy. And therefore, we have to hasten our withdrawal of accommodation. It's, it's a very, very different uh, formulation. Yes. Seems like you have sort of like, you know, cross, you know, cross messages going on here where, you know, if, 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 you're, if it's your view that the Fed was late um, in uh, moderating support, um, and that is the view of a bunch of you know of a bunch of loud people right now. Um, it th- it doesn't sound right, you know. I mean, we, like I mean, um, no, I'm with you. So Mester yeah. this morning said that she expects Omicron to constrict the supply chain, which will be inflationary because demand in the U.S. is still strong. So we have to start tightening. So basically, what she's saying is we need to slow the economy so that people don't buy things, it, 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 which will decrease inflation on on other things because china and vietnam can't <laughs> produce things fast enough that seems like a terrible way to conduct monetary policy I, I think if so. i'm a, if an american yeah. citizen yeah and i'm not sure that um i'm not like i i don't i i saw that also and i'm not sure where like what like what the logic is on it also i also I just get it, thought- yeah I also am not really sure it reflects, let's just talk about just purely about supply chains. There's a lot of other stuff to talk about, but just 
purely on on supply chain. The supply chain seems to be getting better. Better. So I yes, agree. I understand yeah. Omicron is coming, but the supply chain the supply chains are improving. Like weights at the ports are going down, not up. Yep. And so all like a lot of these things that is it is it possible that I mean I guess if I mean if you think that Omicron Omicron, Omicron. Omicron. You ever reading on this? I'm going with Omicron. Omicron? Okay. Omicron. (laughs) That's what I'm going with. I'm going Valley Girl. Omicron. Yeah. Well, uh, we we skipped new because we didn't want people to think it was N-E-W. And then the next one is she. (laughs) And and we skipped she because I know the previous administration definitely would not have skipped she. (laughs) Because it's a common surname. (laughs) Right, right. (laughs) Uh, Okay, so I guess our our relations with China have improved because we skipped the she variant. New York York Fed President Williams said, okay, well, Omicron is going to come in and start it, he said exactly the same thing as Mester. Omicron is going to come in. It's going to it's going to basically re uh, re re entangle the global supply yeah, chains. It's yeah. going to cause problems. That's going to be inflationary. So we need to think about and and it's going to be bad. That's which is bad for growth. But we now have to tighten monetary policy into a worse economic outcome because of inflation. I think it puts a lot of uh, emphasis on kind of inflation expectations. Uh, as you know, and, and a potential wage price spiral. That's, that's the kind of commentary that's, uh, that's, you know, justifying and backing up this, uh, this push toward an accelerated taper. But it really does seem this is a very big uh, pivot from where they were just, you know, at the center of the committee appeared to be just a month ago. Month ago. Yeah. Right? I wonder if it's not a reading of where the supply chain was last year, not because of congestion at the ports or anything like that. So, you know, I can see the argument of, you know, we saw these regional lockdowns, you know, in South Korea, China, Vietnam, when they had sort of like close to COVID zero policies, um, you know, and really tried to stamp things out. But I mean, there's a lot of domestic pressure in these countries, particularly China right now, where all indications seem like growth has slowed even way, way more than what they're publicly reporting. So it's hard to see if like that is true, you know, that speaking of Xi, that we're going to have, you know, big, massive lockdowns in China again, even if we see Omicron pop up there. Yeah, and I think it's look. I mean, I, I mean, I, uh, I, and I hope I'm thinking with my my head and not my heart on this because I, I don't want to see lockdowns again. And I personally, I don't think lockdowns are going to be necessary. And so I don't think lockdowns are coming either. And I think uh, you know we do have vaccines. We do have you know FDA came out this morning um, uh, uh, indicating that they are going to treat future. COVID vaccines in exactly the same way they treat uh, flu vaccines, which is you don't have to go back and do the, you know, uh, you know, brand new uh, clinical trials for the vaccine. You can make tweaks and adjustments based on what you see in the new variant. And that will speed along the availability uh, of vaccines. And there has to be some presumption that the existing um, vaccines still have some uh, 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 value. And, and the question is not whether, the question is how much, right? We know that, uh, that I mean, there's a, there are very, very strong reasons to believe it's gonna have some, um, uh, you know, uh, efficacy against uh, the new uh, variants. 
It may have a lot or it may have very little. South Africa isn't the place to test that because they have very low levels of, uh, of you know, very low vaccination rates. So, and, and we don't know exactly even what all, you know, uh, uh, you know which uh, vaccines they're using. And so, uh, look, it's all to say, first of all, everyone should go get vaccinated and go get boosted and, and get ready for the next one whenever it comes. But my point is that if you're Meister and you're looking at this and you say, well, this is going to happen again, it's like, I guess you want to be protected against it happening again. And that'll pull back the horns of some people who were ready to go off like a bull. But I don't think it's, we're, we're not looking at shutdowns and lockdowns and like that is not coming, certainly not in the United States. And I think not in most other places as well. I mean, we have, you have to account for the fact that we've learned a lot over the past. That's a really important month. point. Yeah. Both as from the, the national level, but also the individual level, you, you know, if you're high risk. So you, if, if this is an outbreak, you should stay inside, but that doesn't mean the entire country has to stay inside this time again. Yeah. And when it comes to supply chains, corporations are very hip to the fact that this is an issue and policymakers are too. And that's part of the reason that we're seeing some degree of, of congestion being, uh, coming down into ports. It's, it's a big focus now. And, uh, it's a problem that, that, uh, policymakers around the world have, uh, have addressed and confronted. So, we can see container rates coming down. We can see, uh, you know, less congestion at the ports. Some of the, you know, main signifiers of inflation, whether it's 10-year or five-year tips break-evens, uh, whether it's oil prices, those are all off a lot from recent peaks. And, uh, and so there's maybe, you know, there's a, there's a sense that perhaps the, you know, the, the Fed is oversteering into what was essentially kind of like a, an inf- a big inflation. It was a big inflationary burst, but it was, that has the potential to be kind of a head fake. It may end up being transitory. Transitory. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, oil prices are a big signifier of people's uh, of of price pressures for people. It's right at the pump, and yeah. you know, when uh, just a, a a month ago, oil prices were twenty dollars a barrel higher than they are now. We've got you know, oil oil prices and the U.S. benchmark WTI back in the sixties. That's not. You know, that's that's not particularly that's not particularly high. That's not particularly inflationary. No. And, and I'll tell you, just in terms of where people are going, I mean, like, I, I know, you, you know, we, we wouldn't be careful about um, about what, you know, uh, sort of anecdotal uh, stories, you know, but I, I was in the garden last night to see the Knicks and the Bulls. It's a sold out show, a sold out game. Like, we're not going back to, yeah. not, not, you know, to empty arenas. Like that's those th- those things are not happening unless like Omicron would have to be like you know really uh, uh, you know really bad or you know worse than what we've seen. But I just don't believe it, given all the things that we've learned on how to cope with um, you know with variants as they come. And you know, remember we did a lot of this opening even in the face of Delta. And, oh, totally. Yeah. No, uh, I'm with you. I and I was talking to John and another friend yesterday about that very thing where the market it freaks out every time the omicron comes up but then three hours later you watch an espn basketball game to a sold out crowd like we're not changing behavior well and to your point i mean again anecdotal but you know my oldest son is five years old so was just eligible for the vaccine 
got his first vaccine within three or four days of eligibility, which meant last weekend he got his second. So that means that first wave of the like the five to 12 or, or exactly. five to 11, like in the next two weeks, they're going to be fully vaccinated. So yeah. there's only going to be more people who are going to be fully vaccinated. I, I my, my sense is that, is that we are, we, you know, we are going to come around to understanding that we're living with a coronavirus coronaviruses are going to mutate mm-hmm. and vaccines are going to become a bigger part of our, uh, a bigger part of our regular part of our lives. And that's just the way it's going to be. And, yep. you know, and I, I don't think, uh, you know, we should be, we should be thankful that we've got, um, you know, the, the magic of medical science to, um, you know, to deal with these things, but I do, I don't, I think it's going to be going to become, um, it's going to be diminishing impacts on our economic lives over time. On the first Friday of every month, HPS analyzes the latest jobs and labor market data in a digestible format. Sign up for our reports at hamiltonplacestrategies.com or on Twitter at HPS Insight. You spoke about oil a little bit. We had a little OPEC uh, news. Can we talk? Can we talk about sort of like just what, what is going on with um, with oil? You know, I mean, oil uh, oil was coming down before uh, the president did the really unprecedented, uh, truly unprecedented, um, you know, sale of oil from the Strategic Petroleum Reserve. And I say unprecedented in that it has never been done for purely you know, uh, price manipulation reasons. And that's, so those sound like dirty words, right? But the oil was sold from the strategic petroleum reserve to manipulate the price of oil because they thought oil prices were getting too high. It has been the only other times it's been sold and it has been sold, you know, numerous times in the past, but, you know, during, uh, uh, you know, wars, and during uh, hurricanes and natural, so when hurricanes shut down, yeah, for what uh, it's actually platforms in the Gulf, yeah, then then you can that you release some oil from the uh, from the reserves, things like that. So natural disasters, wars. This is the first time it was ever done. It wasn't a lot. With I, I don't think you know. I think it was like uh, it gave a uh, maybe a little nudge to a snowball that was already heading downhill, and uh, but. Uh, and there was speculation as to what OPEC uh, was going to do. And what did they do? Yeah, there was a lot. There was a lot of speculation that OPEC would pause their rollback of supply curbs. This was the this was the meeting that had followed two previous two previous they, they meet at the beginning of every month to decide the next month's um, production and uh, and the the preset pace that they have is reintroducing four hundred thousand barrels per day um, per month back into uh, into into you know global supply from OPEC and their allies um, and the the preset this was during the past two months when oil prices were you know Brent crude was was knocking on the door of ninety dollars a barrel and trending strongly higher and uh, and in the face of this this was when the energy crunches in Europe and that were at the extreme uh, China was struggling to get power uh, to its factories in the northeast this was a big issue. And, uh, and OPEC over the summer had kind of been squabbling, actually having trouble finding unity. There was the UAE uh, and some of the other smaller producers were, uh, were pushing Saudi to, uh, to reassess 
and give them a little bit more cap space, uh, essentially, to pump. And that was, and so coming into this, it looked as though in the fall there would be a, a a window for OPEC to kind of, you know, do do the Biden administration and and Brussels and Beijing a solid, and uh, and boost the the reintroduction and accelerate their. Uh, the the pullback of these supply curves. They did not. <laughs> they they found they re they reformed they formed a reunited front, and and dug in their heels. Uh, basically, in, at the beginning of October and November, and it was a it was a very big you know that led to a very big spike in oil prices uh, that was already in train uh, that trend, but uh, but certainly accelerated it to the upside. And uh, and the Biden administration, obviously, as you said, responded with uh, coordinated multination strategic control. It wasn't just the U.S. It was Japan. Right. China did it. Um, it was India. And uh, the you know, the reality is it, it it's the, the actual effect. You know, it's kind of a drop in the bucket, but it's demonstration. And uh, and you have a situation in which OPEC was feeling some pressure and uh, and they came into the meeting today uh, yesterday. And instead of pausing, like everybody expected, they went ahead with it. They gave themselves a lot of wiggle room. You know, we're going to watch Omicron. And if it if it starts to suppress demand, well, we'll be quick on the trigger uh, to uh, to to react to that. So it wasn't totally bearish for oil prices, but it was uh, it was certainly not the kind of supportive action that uh, that most of the analysts had expected. But it was bearish for global stability because the big reason that they decided to cut uh, to to hold steady was Russia. And the big reason Russia did it is because they're about to fight a war in Ukraine and they need money. Yeah, that's certainly what it looks like. Yeah. So the, the, there's definitely a sting in the tail, at least implied in, in, uh, in the decision. Stratton, are you on Ukraine watch? I'm on Ukraine watch for <laughs> many, many sad reasons. Um, yeah. I mean, you know, it, it's, it's tough. To, I mean, this is adjacent to obviously oil prices. It's also tough to predict, right? Cause a lot of people are like, no logical, rational person would make this decision, right? But I mean, it's like Georgia, Crimea. I mean, you know, you keep doing the same thing and you don't really get, you know, that much pushback on it. What's your incentive not to do it, especially if it plays well domestically? I think I saw um, an article yesterday that said, you know, you know, caveats on how reliable public polling is in Russia, but that most Russians believe Ukrainians want to be liberated from the Kiev government. So not looking good. Uh, no, but I would definitely have, uh, I, I think it definitely would have, uh, I, I think, it, you know, look, we always want to say the next one will have consequences. And I was, you know, I was in the White House when, <clears throat> when Crimea happened and, and obviously, you know, uh, you know, here, but paying attention to, um, uh, I'm sorry to Georgia it was, it was Georgia when I was in the White House and then and then Crimea uh, you know afterwards and I think you're right right I mean the, the 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 international response was not sufficiently strong uh and uh and that's probably what 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 Putin is calculating I do think you know uh, uh you know a, a a real land war in Ukraine would be in a different category and uh, would be significant. Yeah. I mean, I don't think you're going to see them watch like marching all the way over to the Western border, but do they take those sort of de facto breakaway regions that have been operating independently and fold them in? Probably. It gets them closer to a, a land connection to Crimea too. So time, time to refill the, uh, 
the strategic petroleum. Yes, yes we are. <laughs> White I mean, oil prices are in the 60s. Yeah, we need time. Good time right now. Yeah, actually, I was driving through Georgetown the other day, and I remember filling up at one of the gas stations. Remember, like a year ago, we had a gas shortage for like a day. <laughs> yeah, I remember when? I remember. Yeah, remember when we? I mean, it was not real, but te- you know, just technical, like you know, technical negative on. Yeah, um, we did. We did negative. Yeah. Yeah. Um, guys, any uh, any data for uh, for next week? I mean, it seems like I don't know. I just I never like December numbers. <laughs> next week is CPI. That's the yeah. big one next week. That's going to be uh, that's going to be drum roll, please, uh, before that one comes out. As uh, as everyone tries to take bets on what the Fed's going to do uh, with regard to the taper announcement at their December meeting, and uh, you know today's today as as we talked about today's labor numbers probably won't move the needle, but CPI could certainly cement if it comes in hot. You know, in the minds of the market, that would probably cement an accelerated uh, taper because. The Fed is now obviously so fixated on uh, on inflation and sort of junked the full employment um, full employment uh, you know before rate hikes formulation. I think right. and fair. it's the November CPI, so this this drop in oil prices won't have anything to do with that number. FOMC is the uh, fifteenth and sixteenth somewhere around there, I guess. Yep. Yeah. The the RBA has a meeting also on the. That's the only other significant uh, central bank that has a meeting next week. Yeah, Australia. Yeah, I mean, it, one of the most hawkish major central banks around the world has been the Bank of England. Now they've done something that the Fed may end up doing here, which is they they signal they're they're a little bit further along in their withdrawal of accommodation. They signaled a rate hike, then they they totally shocked the market by signaling a rate hike at the November meeting. Then didn't hike rates at the November yeah. meeting, wrong footing <laughs> the market again. You could hear if you listen, you can hear the shrieks of a thousand hedge fund managers in Greenwich, Connecticut, when uh, when that occurred. And uh, it was some ugly day for global macro guys uh, and gals, but uh, the the Fed may end up and they and the most hawkish member of the committee came out this morning and said, Omicron is he'd voted for a rate hike at the last meeting. And he said, you know, I think we need to pause, wait and see and see what's going on. Whereas the you know, now the Fed has sort of grabbed the grabbed the mantle as, uh, you know, leading leading the hawkish charge into the Omicron wave. So we'll see how it comes out in December. Well, and maybe one more thing to note on OPEC, too, is one thing that folks noted was a little unusual was they uh, voted to stay in session. So they're like in permanent session. So they can actually reverse um, their output decisions without having to formally meet again, too. So, oh, that's a really interesting point. Yeah. yeah. So that could come at any time if they decide markets are heading in the wrong direction. Excellent point. Uh, and I, I didn't realize they had done that. In fact, I didn't realize that they could do that. So that's great. Um, Stratton, thanks for joining us uh, this week on the special uh, employment situation report version of the Macrocast today. Um, Guys, have a great weekend. Uh, We'll talk to you next week on the Macrocast. Thank you for listening to the HPS Insights Podcast, produced by Hamilton Place Strategies. For the latest updates, follow us on Twitter at HPS Insights and follow us on the web at HamiltonPlaceStrategies.com.